Welcome to the Stuart Madison Meets Podcast, Episode 3. I'm speaking today with Ken Shio, who's a sales coach based out of Boston, Massachusetts. I'm looking forward to hearing more about your story, Ken, and uh, hopefully you can bring some some value to the audience about sales coaching uh, and your experience with, with all the clients and the businesses you've worked in. Looking forward to it. I think it'll be a good one. Yeah, myself too. I'm, I'm looking forward to this also. Awesome. Thanks for awesome. having me. So it'd be great to get a brief summary of you, you know, just how you would describe yourself, how you would describe uh, who you are, what you've done, um, just wherever, you know, whatever you think is sort of relevant uh, to anyone listening. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a sales trainer and a coach. That's that's really what we are at our sales coach. And, uh, you know, originally I was trained as an engineer. And so I have sort of a technical background. Uh, however, I was really in sales in sales management for 21 years, and then you know in 2005 my company was being acquired, and I decided because I was a single parent and you know uh, commuting to my work, uh, and I wanted more flexibility and I wanted to do my own thing. So I decided I wanted to buy a business, and I'm looking around at different businesses, and I ended up the only thing that really was really you know striking uh, balance for me was uh, sales training to leverage my experience. And so I bought a sales training franchise and started in 2006. And then in 2013, I uh, broke off and started my own brand, uh, called it Our Sales Coach. And that's how I got to where I am today. So we've been doing this for, you know, a good, uh, you know, uh, 17 years. And, uh, you know, really... Uh, worked with a lot of really interesting companies in different sales environments. Uh, and it's it's been fun really learning uh, with them and helping them to learn how to be more efficient and effective. Yeah. Do you think the, the sales game has changed a lot over the last 10 or 20 years with technology? Oh, totally. Well, so when I got my first sales job, Google was formed 13 years later. Right. Wow. Nobody and nobody had a computer. Okay. Yeah. So that is dramatic. And you know, because when I when I picked up the phone and I called a decision maker, they would want to talk to me because you know that's how they got information, what their competitors were doing, what's available in the marketplace. And it was important for them to talk to me. Now, you know, people are doing their own research, you know, with, with social media. And, and uh, you know, sales enablement and, and marketing automation, everybody does their own research. And so, and people are educated too. So it's, it's a completely different world. And the other thing is in my industry, the sales enablement tools and how, you know, CRM technology and marketing automation has really made, you know, give us the opportunity to be more efficient and effective. And, you know, the question is, how are, we, how are we utilizing that, those opportunities? I mean, even in my business for training, um, you know, there's tools that we're using that, um, you know, so you could have, uh, you know, a web location where all of your, you know, your training assets are located and, um, or mobile. You know, we have also the opportunity to make it mobile. And, and the, the real question is, though, wait, how are you using the technology now and how it's evolving, even with AI, uh, integrating AI into knowing, okay, this person 
the, on our team needs this now and how are we delivering that to them? Um, so it's uh, really changed the way we go to market, our customers go to market, but also how we we deliver our services. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting to hear. So going, going back to the start, what got you into sales initially? You mentioned there that you effectively had to have an engineering degree, if I remember correctly, uh, for yeah. what you were doing at the start. Right. Yeah. Well, it, that's because, like I said, you know, I, I've been fortunate in my entire career. I've been able to follow trends. And, you know, what happened is I was an engineer for five years, but my engineering background was in designing and constructing power plants and doing industrial central plant design work. And it, what happened is um, I was actually dating my ex-wife and I was living in Connecticut and she lived in Boston. And I decided, you know what, I'm moving back to Boston. And I landed a sales job because we they were deregulating the electric industry. And, you know, California and Massachusetts were pioneers there. And so there was a huge opportunity for the local gas utility here in Boston to sell natural gas to power plants because nobody was building a nuke and nobody was building a coal plant either. Yeah. Right. They're, they're dismantling all of those. And so, uh, you know, and then uh, I was brought in to manage a team to develop new markets. So we were getting involved in natural gas vehicles. And, you know, so there was a trend. They also had passed the Clean Air Act. And there was, there still is a trend towards, you know, sustainable environment. And, uh, you know, I w went into that direction of, um, you know, energy utilizing equipment and performance contracting. Um, but that was my first sales job and that led to sales management because of the trends. Yeah, got it. Yeah, so you've got obviously a lot of experience in sales yourself and sales management. One thing I'd be curious to ask you is how do you think it's best to create a sales system that actually fits your product in your industry? Because there's a lot of generic uh, advice out there on how to how to sell and how to have a sales system that isn't specific to any industries or products. How do you think is the best way to go about that? Yeah, well, you know what? There's really three steps to that. First, first is your sales strategy. Okay. The second is what's your go-to-market strategy. And then there's the Salesforce design. Okay. And so, you know, really sometimes we don't really spend enough time on the first two steps. Right. So what is your strategy? In other words, what is your market segmentation? Who right. is it you're really going after? And I find far too many times people are trying to be everything to everybody. And, and, you know, from right from that standpoint, if you're not really doing that analysis, it's flawed from the beginning. Because, you know, if you have different types of customers, their, their buying process could be completely different. So how are you going to, to, how are you going to design a sales strategy when two different market segments buy different ways? And you need people with different expertise. And the next part of that is not, you know, your your market segmentation, but also your products. So different clients might want to be buying different products. And do you need people who have expertise in certain areas because of the product? So that's the first step. You know, I mean, 
do, do you know what your market penetration is in those segments that you want where your biggest opportunities are? You know, if there's an internal analysis and an external analysis. So what do you are really good at? And does your mark the targets that you're you're going after, do they, you know, how does that match up with what they really need? And then the external part is what's happening out in the marketplace that provide opportunities for you to focus on. And and so that's the first step. Then you can design a go-to-market strategy, right? Because you now know with those segments, who's the decision maker? Yeah. Okay. What do they care about? And how are we going to get their attention? And and so, you know, then you can pick the uh, the market marketing and prospecting channels that will get conversations. Yeah. And and be relevant to them. Okay. So then you have that uh, go to market strategy. Now you can talk about what's your design. So really, you know, who is it that you need to bring in to be able to be effective in getting those meetings, conducting those meetings, or even getting those calls and qualifying for a meeting and conducting those meetings and then really closing the deals. So what, what is their degree of specialization, for example? Or, you know, is it really product-based or is it market-based? Is it the geographic location? And um, what roles are there going to be? You know, we talk about hunters and farmers, for example. Mm. Okay, well, that's important, right? But what do the hunters need to do and who's doing that? And what are the farmers going to do? You know, like, so we have manufacturers that we deal with and they have clients all the time. And it's common that they have account managers. Well, these account managers... You know, spending a lot of time dealing with existing customers, you know, they don't have enough time to go out and get new ones. Yeah. Or they're not the right personality to go get a new one. So how are you going to develop that new customer interaction and develop new opportunities and, um, you know, make sure that you're continuing to grow at a pace that um, meets your ability to deliver? Yeah. Um, and so what happens is a lot of times we're jumping to step three. Oh, I need to hire a new salesperson. Well, they're not really thinking about, okay, what does that person really need to be doing? And if we want them to be doing everything, then are they going to be ending up really being efficient with their time yeah. or being effective? Okay. Or do we need to split up the roles? Uh, you know, cause they, they, and they, and they don't, you know, the worst case scenario is they're really putting the wrong person in the wrong job mm. and they're just destined to failure. Yeah. Um, but mostly it's because they didn't really do enough in the first two steps. Yeah, I've, I've seen that play out in one or two companies as well, especially when they when they get funding. And so they have way more money than they've ever had. So the first thing they want to do is spend it and they spend it on maybe two or three sales development reps that really don't know what they're doing. And the company doesn't really know exactly what they should be doing, but they had to spend the money somewhere. So they pick the option where they can spend the most, the quickest. Uh, and you're right. And, you know, when they don't have those first couple of steps in place, it never goes the way that they expected it in their head. Um, so, yeah, I think you, you make a great point there. And obviously with a lot of that stuff, with a lot of that training to get your sales development reps doing the right thing and your account managers as well, 
you believe very strongly in drip training because if you have a lot of this information, a lot of this training that your people need, you don't want to give it to them all at the one time because they're not going to retain it. Yeah, yeah. You know, research shows we as humans, we will only retain about 50% of the main content of a 10-minute speech immediately after it's delivered. 50%, 10 minute speech, you know, and then, you know, in a couple, within a couple of days, maybe what it's 25%, you know, and so, you know, it just boggles my mind that, you know, the, the you know, sales traders will come in and say, look, uh, we'll customize a program just for you. And we'll come in, we'll do an eight day, we'll do two eight day programs. Well, you know, I don't care how smart your, your people are, you will not be able to retain eight hours of information. I don't care how much interaction there is when they're doing that. You will yeah. not be able to know what to do with it. It's overwhelming. Okay. Now that doesn't mean to say it's not, it doesn't make sense when you bring your whole sales team together, you know, that you have somebody come in and work with them, maybe for four hours, maybe for eight, but you got to focus on really what they need and use the time where you're alive to be able to, you know, get them to practice and do things over and over again and, and provide coaching. So what we do is we we give them an hour of training. Just one hour and it's interactive. And we give them the equal amount of coaching. So they get group coaching and then they get group training. One hour. And then we schedule the next one. But um, you know, with that combination of coaching and training, the coaching they uh you know enables them to revisit what they've learned over and over again in the context of their sales environment and with technology today that's one of the great things that came out of covid is just that the technology for video conferencing the reason we're doing this and how we're doing this today yeah. has improved dramatically so that we can do that and we can we can be really effective with sales teams all over the world, and they don't need to fly them around for them to get training. Uh, and so it it really uh, it's it's a lot more effective. And and the coaching piece is is critical, right? Mm -hmm. And so they um, they get the coaching they need because you know it's always the case that. The individual people, their their needs are all different. And so you want to give them the attention that they need where they need it. Right. So you're saying training that's specific to the company and coaching that's specific to the individuals. That's right. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think how it works. Probably the reason that it's the system usually is all the information at once or maybe not at once, but in two large chunks for you to retain that much of it. I think probably the purpose or the reasoning for that is because, you know, before right now, yeah, you would have to fly out and you'd have to do a day or a week or whatever it may be. And there was no way to do it this way where it's, um, you know, drip training, as you say, over a longer period of time. How do you think it's best if you're an organization and you're trying to train your your people on what whatever it, whatever it may be, and you're not bringing in an external consultant. How do you think they're best to do that in house? 
Well, you you want to develop coaches, okay? So it really, you know, if if you uh, if you have a sales manager that's also yeah. selling, okay, the the question is how much time are they really spending with your sales team? You know, depending on you know if if you have like say up to you know seven or ten salespeople, you don't have time to be selling and really giving them what they need. And so, uh, you know, you want to be making sure that you're giving, you're, you're developing coaches out of your managers. Mm. Critical. Okay. So how are you going to coach somebody? Well, do they have the information they need? Okay. So do they have the data to really understand, hey, Johnny's stuck. Where is he stuck? Okay. And how can we get him unstuck? Or, you know, you know, Sally's doing great. How can I make her more efficient? Yeah. Where is the opportunity to improve her efficiency? Okay. As salespeople, we have one asset, our time. How are they spending their time? Okay. And you need the data to be able to determine that. And you need to coach them to really understand that their time is being you know, spent efficiently, the other piece is how effective are they? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of uh, how effective they're going to be, I know that you think that tracking is a huge component of that. And you think sometimes a lot of salespeople or sales teams track the wrong things. Could you elaborate a bit on that? What should they be tracking that normally they aren't tracking? What are they spending too much of their focus on, would you say? Yeah. Some, you know, sometimes they're tracking the wrong things. Sometimes they're not tracking anything, you know, mm. and it, it's, it's crazy that, you know, uh, companies invest gobs of money into CRMs and then uh, the salespeople don't even use it yeah. and, or they're not getting the information that they need to, be effective or really understanding how it's going to help them make more money. And, and so, you know, everybody really tracks sales, right? You have to track sales. Why? Because you need to invoice your customer and why do salespeople track sales? Because that's how they get paid. Right. But from that point, it's like proposals. Okay. So, well, first of all, sales efficiency is evaluated in ratios, just like your financial performance, you know? So if you're not really look that you, the, usually, you know, I find my clients have the data they need. They're just not using the ratios, okay? Mm. And it's, it's like, okay, yeah, well, I, I'm very efficient with my bookkeeping, but you're not even looking at your gross margin or your net profit or your inventory returns. You don't even, never even look at that. Why would I, right? No, of course yeah. you do. That's how you evaluate your financial performance. Same thing with, with sales, right? What is your proposal close rate? You know, how many first meetings does it take for you to close a deal? How many contacts does it take for you to make, get a meeting? How many leads do you need before you close a deal? Or how many leads does it take to get a meeting? And, and this is how you evaluate performance. Okay. And so everybody tracks sales. They track proposals, I hope, because you need to follow up. Okay. Do you know what your close rate is? What's your close rate on proposals? And this is where it even starts to get a little more negative because a lot of times, you know, I have clients that will budget price things m multiple times. 
over the course of the sales process. So they're like, oh, I can't track that. Well, yes, you need to track that because it's just how do you make it if, you know, effective uh, and useful? Um, and then, all right, you know, if you're not tracked, if you're not getting proposals out, well, how many meetings are they having? How many first meetings are they having with new opportunities? How many of those are with new prospect, new customers, prospective customers versus existing customers on new opportunities? Okay. And then how many contacts are they making or how, how many leads are they developing on their own or what are they doing to convert leads that the company provides for them? Okay. And how that all gets tracked because, you know, if, if you're, everyone on your sales team is nailing their monthly revenue goal 100% of the time every month. Hey, life's good, right? You don't need a lot of coaching then. Now the question is, okay, how many, how many of those opportunities are with net new prospects versus existing customers? Okay. But if you're not meeting your sales goal, now it's like, all right, well, how many proposals are they doing? What's their proposal close rate? Right? Because if they're throwing out a lot of proposals and not closing deals, now you know where to help them, right? What is what are they doing? How are they delivering those proposals? Who are they proposing to? Are they proposing to a decision maker? You know, drill into that, okay? But if they're not getting doing proposals or quotes, right? Well, how many meetings they having on new opportunities? Because if they're having a lot of meetings and they're not turning into really opportunities or proposals or who are they meeting with, what's the conversation they're having? And, you know, do we need to make some changes there? Okay. But if they're not having meetings, it's like, all right, what are they doing to, to have conversations? Are yeah. they making contact with people? How are they doing that? And because if they're having a lot of contacts and it doesn't turn into a meeting, okay, well, what's that conversation? How are they really, are they asking for the meeting? You know, yeah. let's help them to get more meetings. But if they're not having meetings, okay, what are they doing to produce leads? Are they doing prospecting activities? Are they keeping themselves accountable for doing those prospecting activities? Are their channels effective? Is their conversation, is their dialogue effective? Okay. So, you know, through those ratios, we could determine how effective our our team members are and and then you know where where how efficient are they where can they really improve and how can we coach them to continue to improve mm. yeah yeah well that's a lot of stuff to to track if you're if you're a sales manager um <clears throat> and you're kind of you know juggling between trying to get your people to track everything they should be tracking you're trying to spend some time looking at those stats, what needs to be improved, what needs to be changed uh, as a whole or for certain individuals. Um, you're trying to maybe balance and planning for the future and coaching as well. If you're a sales manager and you've got all these things on your plate, what's the best way to try and manage all of that and be as effective as possible to get the best, um, the best results from your team? Yeah, so you may not need to be focusing on all that data, right? It depends on the sales process. It depends on the person and what their role is. And so, you know, you need to just have enough information to really identify where the gaps are in, effect in effectiveness. And then, 
you know, be able to coach them on that and train them effectively. Uh, and so, you know, identify, and, and really it depends on how your team is structured. Okay. So maybe there's, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the BDRs, for example, well, their job is really just to open the doors and set appointments. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so they, you're that you're in that in, initial part of the uh, opportunity funnel and, you know, how, how are you making that effective? And then, uh, and, and then maybe the account executives, okay, how efficient are they in conducting sales meeting, navigating the decision process and, you know, making sure they're closing deals and shortening the sales cycle. So, you know, you're evaluating the data based on where the gaps are and who your, who, who the individual team members are. Um, and, and then how they're working together. Okay. And, and then through that coaching, the salespeople really understand because you're using the data and helping them to see the data, how that's really helping them to improve. Okay. And what's going to motivate them to, to like do that thing that everybody hates to do and get the data in there on a regular basis on a daily basis. Well, understanding how it's helping them and under, getting them to see, this is where coaching comes in, to see yeah. how they're improving and how the data and their manager is helping them to improve because everybody wants to be making progress. Okay? And so learning and continuing to contribute are two of the biggest motivators in addition to making money. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. All right. That's uh, I, th I think that's a lot of great sort of information on the management side of things. And if you're a sales manager, how do you create <clears throat> or work with your team to have the best sort of and most productive environment as possible? Um, on the actual, you know, for any sales closers, a big thing that you like to talk about is how a lot of businesses and a lot of sales closers, they think they know why they're different. They know why the business is different, why the product's different, what their, their USP is. Uh, but you also think that they're probably wrong and their customers would say it's something different and they buy for a different reason. You know, how do you think the the sales closers or the businesses can extract that information so that they actually know how they're different and how they can utilize their USPs more? Yeah, well, that's a question we don't ask often enough. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, I tell my clients, every single one, I tell them, look, you got to be asking your customers, how am I doing? Mm -hmm. Are you happy? Right? Because if they're not happy, then maybe you're at risk for losing them. You want to make sure they're happy, not just happy. You know, everybody expects you to provide good service on time in a professional manner. And I got news for you. That does not differentiate you. If you're yeah. not doing that, they're going to leave. Yeah. Okay. And so we need to be doing that. Okay. But we need to really understand that they are happy. Okay. Once, once you get into that conversation, then it's easy to find out, you know, ask more questions about that. What do you think really makes us different? You know, why'd you buy from us in the first place? Would, would you do it again? And 
you know, here's the real question we want to get to. It's like, listen, if you were going to recommend us to somebody else, it's like, you know, you really need to go talk to John at XYZ company because what goes after because? Because this is what they're really thinking is the value you provide to them. And we don't, you know, the, your best resource for understanding that is your customers. Yeah. And customer A may have a different view than customer B. And, you know, the decision maker X at customer A might have a different view than decision maker Y at the same company. Okay, we need to understand all of that, but we really don't drill down. And there, you know, there's five areas where you could be different, right? So here, first is value. What is the value? What is the perceived value, right? Do you actually provide a more, a, a, a better product? You know, it, is it a better product? Because if it is a better product, then it should be more expensive. Mm. If you're viewed as a more expensive product because the quality is better, what is it that about the quality? And perhaps if they, if they think you're providing a better quality product at a higher price, then they may expect more attention. So how are you delivering that attention to them, right? Or sometimes it's, this is the one that really gets me, service. Oh, we provide better service. Really? Okay, so I can then go talk to your competitor and they'll say, listen, you got to buy from me because our service stinks, right? We have, we've had seven, that's why you need to buy from us because we have lousy service. No, okay, but maybe it is service. Sometimes it's not service, really, it's availability. Yeah. What happens when I need attention? What yeah. kind of attention do I need, right? Do, do you have a product that they need to be educated on? Okay. And this is, gets me when you talk about software, it's like, you know, they, software companies, they understand you need a sales enablement person. You need a customer service people to help them onboard them properly. And they're using the product properly, you know, but you know, a lot of times they do it through videos and it just, it, it boggles my mind that we go to these great videos, but they talk a mile a minute. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm still trying to figure out step one and they're on step 20. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, slow down. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then you want to go back and revisit it. Say, you know, I know it was step five. I need to learn more about. And then you can't even find the, the video you watched. Yeah. Right? And so how easy is that? Well, well, contrast that with, well, look, you know, we know this is going to be important to you. We want to do some live training for you so we can really show you where to focus and how to get set up properly with the software in the first place. You know what I mean? Uh, and, you know, uh, so it could be, could be how you train them. Or, you know, I have clients that, you know, they, they uh, sell manufactured products uh, where, you know, they need to be maintained. So I have a company, for example, that sells pumps. And right. they provide the service on the pumps. And their competitor doesn't. So, you know, at least on the replacement market, they're the go-to because they're in there helping them solve little problems along the way and maintaining the pump. So when it comes time to buy a new one, guess who they go to, right? And, uh, and or it could be how they buy. You know, how does the customer want to be interacted with or how they buy? For example, you know, maybe they have, 
uh, different locations and they buy individually in those locations. So there's people in each location you need to have a relationship with, or maybe they buy centrally. And we want, you know, the tension here and there's multiple decision makers in one location. Uh, and then how are you interacting with them at the rates and level that they want to be interacted with? So maybe that's it, you know, or, you know, and then how do you develop the relationships uh, and maintain those relationships? So, you know, I have clients that um, sell really complex uh, environments like, uh, I have a med uh, medical device manufacturer. They have to actually design a piece of equipment just right. for their customer. Okay. Unique to them. And then make the parts at the volumes that they need when they need them. Okay. So for them to steal someone else's customer, they need to fire that person they're using. Hey, you know, I know you designed and built that piece of equipment just for us. Throw it away. We're going to somebody new. Right. They have to have a real problem with quality, with, uh, deliverability uh, and you know resources that to, to be able to do that. So it's really a, a relationship that once it is developed, it's hard to develop. But once it's developed, it's hard to break. Okay, and so that you know is a, a differentiator in itself. So where is the you know your your differentiation could be in any of those five places. But it's not as much, it, it, it's important to know what it is, but it's also important to know, number one, how do you communicate that? And secondly, how do you really deliver on that? And third, and the most important thing, what trumps everything is how does the customer perceive it? And what is really important to them? And you can't find out without asking. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I like I like the way you break down each part and how you can sort of figure out what one specifically it is that makes you the best choice. I think one thing that obviously, you know, you believe in selling value, not features, and I totally agree. Um, I think at this point, though, a lot of people, when they're doing that, because usually businesses only have a few things they're trying to do and they all revolve around making money. When you go to the value, it's always something that contributes to either making more money, making money faster, um, you know, something around that. And so I think a lot of companies, when they're trying to sell value as opposed to features, they just sound like every other company. They just sound like every other competitor. You know, so the, right. the easiest example is uh, if you're, let's say you're a marketing company, you're a lead generation company, you can say, well, we'll get you leads. That's the value, you know, but all your competitors are, are the same. Whereas you could say, well, we'll get you leads through Facebook. We'll get you leads through LinkedIn or Google or something like that. Um, and then that, so the differentiator usually is the features as opposed to the value. So how do you think that's the best way to get that across, but still sell the value so that the lead is actually, um, well, going to see the value, to put it plainly. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you just let's use that example, Stuart, you know, because first of all, if, if I'm saying, okay, is this credible? Mm. Is this person really going to give me leads? Well, first, the first thing is, how well does he understand my market? You know, so... 
you know, what's what's the process they're going to go through to really deliver those leads? And does that make sense based on what I know about my customers in my market? And, you know, then what it, how once you sort of high level, you know, communicate that that makes sense to me in my world, then it's like, all right, what do what do I think the results will be? Or yeah. tell them, you know, the more you can guarantee it, the better, right? Because when when you guarantee it, and, and the question is, what's behind the guarantee? Um, then, uh, you know, that that is a that can be a differentiator. But also, what you're in in that conversation, what you're really uh, doing is uh, you're narrowing your expertise. And you're showing that you're an expert. People want to do business with experts. So, you know, you can differentiate yourself based on focus, narrow focus. Uh, hey, you know, you in your business, that's who I do business with. Nobody yeah. else. And, and by the way, because of that, I've got some credible customers here, you know, name brands that, yeah. well, listen, if they're using them, they must be good. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it goes back to that step number one in the sales process. Who is your, how do you, how are you segmented and are you really an expert? Uh, and then how will you deliver that? Um, and, um, you know, so I, that's how I think. You yeah. Know, and I, I agree with you, especially on the point that, uh, what you're saying about working with, well, knowing exactly who your market who your market is, and that's who you work with. And I totally agree. I think a lot of I guess the, like one of the easiest ways to stand out to pick one market, pick one pretty niche market, and that's exclusively who you work with. I think is virtually the easiest way to build up trust um, and authority within the one market. I think the reason most people, usually individuals as opposed to companies where there's multiple decision makers. But I think usually the reason most indiv individuals, so, you know, um, one person companies, I think the reason they don't do that is purely because it's such a mental block. You know, there's that thing in your brain that says, well, if I'm making my market smaller, then there's less people I can sell to, you know? And I think that's partially where the power of a coach comes in as well where they know, they know it's the best thing to do. They don't have that mental block and they can push you on and encourage you to niche down and pick exactly who you should be working with because it is such a mental block. Um, but I think if you can get past that, it's one of the easiest ways to actually start generating more and better leads, um, at least from what I've found. Yeah. Yeah, we try to get our clients working two to four and – so, you know, if, if you're a big corporation, you know, maybe may you need to have more than two to four markets you're in, perhaps, but each individual salesperson doesn't need to, right? Yeah. And so you could have each salesperson just addressing one market, but, um, you know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket and you don't need to. Like, so for example, we, we deal with uh, SaaS companies and we deal with manufacturers, but so I could say, well, my market's manufacturing. Well, there's a gazillion SIC codes in manufacturing. 
we don't deal with all types of manufacturers. You know, we can specialize in certain types of manufacturing. And, you know, so when you say manufacturing is your market, you can have actually have, you know, four or so different segments within manufacturing that you focus on and that could change over time based on where the opportunities are in the marketplace. What are the trends? Okay. Uh, and, um, you know, so but yeah. you do want to, you do want to focus because otherwise, you know, let's just say, all right, well, I want to deal with medical device manufacturers, or then you just say, well, I want to deal with defense contractors. Well, guess what? You're not going to go the same place. Mm. You're not, you know, you're not, let's say you want to go to trade shows. Are you going to find both at the same trade show? No, you're not. Is what's going to get their attention the same? No, it's not. Hey. And so uh, the more you have, you know, multiple but fewer markets in that are synergistic, the yeah. more effective that will be. Uh, and then you can adapt and change. Yeah. What made you system. what made you focus on tech and manufacturing? Because a lot of people would say that they're quite different. What made you pick those markets in particular? Uh well with trends. Trends. Right? Because uh, you know, right now, uh you know, manufacturers uh have a lot of need. Silicon Valley Bank, need I say more. Okay, there's a lot of pressure on on sales teams to produce. And we got into it because there was a lot of opportunity here in Boston, Boston, San Francisco, right? Uh let and and uh you know, so we uh and so there's a lot of money, right? It's easier to follow the money in tech because basically if you've got if you're developing a SaaS environment, you need to have some private equity money to be able to build your sales team, build, build your product. And, <clears throat> and then, um, so it's easy, it's easy to follow that. So uh, that's how we got into that. But manufacturing uh, was because we were doing some training with uh, the manufacturing extension partnerships. Uh, these are nonprofits that were formed back when, when Bill Clinton was president in the United States, he started throwing money at the States to train these family operated businesses. Um, and, you know, we, we started doing sale training for them. And that was what, that's what really got us into manufacturing. There's also trends in, okay, there, there's a trend to pull manufacturing back into the United States and yeah. develop more, you know, uh, manufacturing here. Uh, whereas, you know, foreign companies want to manufacture in the States because that's where the market is. Okay, so those are trends. And so I'm just following where the opportunity is. Coming out of the recession in 08, I was dealing a lot with service companies, CPA firms, law firms. Mm. Why? Because, you know, law firms are, you know, they were growing at 10, 12% before the recession. Boom, recession comes. Now, coming out of the recession, they're growing at 4%. So they weren't going to their you know, partners and saying, hey, listen, we're going to cut your pay by two thirds. No, they were saying, listen, if you don't go out and get some customers, we're going to fire all your uh, associates and you're going to have to do all that grunt work they're doing. 
And so they would bring me in and it's like, all right, who's really doing something? Who's who's got the potential? Because lawyers, you know, usually, you know, they got a mental block against their th- ethics professor said, don't sell. It's unethical. Yeah. And so but who's actually really doing something? And let, let's work with them and bring in more of their ideal clients. And then that got me more into um you know, insurance companies and financial. And so, you know, we started working with banks. I still work with banks. Uh, there's there's opportunities there too, because banking, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, when's the last time you went into the, your local bank branch? A while ago. Yeah, yeah, right? You, you, we do our banking right here. Yeah. Right? So, you know, they how are they reaching out to their customers and so there's a need for training to get these people to go out and bring in new customers and uh you know before in, during coming out of the recession uh I was dealing with the people who really were the salespeople these are the commercial loan officers the mortgage people now they've gotten pretty good at that so it's the retail people who are used to sitting in the branch Nobody's coming in the branch or how many times can you ask that same 50 people to come in every week? Hey, can I help you with anything else? <laughs> right? They have to go out and get new ones and they don't know how to do that. So that's where the opportunity is for me. And so, uh, you know, I, I just, that's how I got into the markets because I'm in Boston. What's the market in Boston? What are the needs out there externally? That's yeah. why I'm in tech. That's why I'm in banking. And then that's why I'm in uh, manufacturing. Yeah. Manufacturing is a little different. Yeah. Sorry. On you go. Oh, because manufacturers is completely different because, you know, they built their businesses based on customers. They have customers. They pay attention to their customers. They deliver their customers. Yeah. But now it's getting more competitive and they have account managers. The account managers are busy taking care of their customers, keeping them happy but they're customer service oriented people. And two problems. Number one is they, they're so busy helping their customers, they don't have time to go out and get new ones. Mm. The second problem is they're service people. They're not salespeople. And so they're not getting enough new. And if they're not getting enough new, then they could you know, lose a big customer or they could get their lunch you know, eaten by competitor who is being more proactive. So they realize they need to be more proactive. Well, how do they do that? They go get distributors who aren't even employees. And so they have distributors and they have no control over what they're doing. And so they don't know how to manage that. So they decide, you know, they're going to go get some direct salespeople, put them in regions that can work with the distributors and open some doors with them, which is smart. And but how do they do that to make that effective, right? And that's that's where we come in. And we help them with that strategy based on everything we talked about already. Yeah. And, or maybe they just sort of take it all in house and they go completely direct mm. and they want to control the whole thing, which, you know, does that make sense? Maybe, maybe not, maybe only in certain areas. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's... Very interesting. What I was curious to ask you, because um, obviously you've worked in all these different, uh, or you have experience in all these different industries, and there's going to be a lot of different, well, differences in each industry, each type of, uh, each type of business, each size, each product, all that kind of stuff. 
what do you think if you're a if you're a new salesman all right um you're looking for a new obviously there's a ton of uh ton of people being laid off at the moment you know what do you think are the best industries to go into uh if you're a salesperson you're looking to find a company that you can make a lot with and you can grow with what are the best industries to go into uh well okay so there has to be a good market opportunity okay what what are people buying and in what what's the opportunity out there second is where what interests you okay and you know you you if you're really interested in a product then you'll be more inclined to learn about it and learn about the marketplace okay uh, and then the third thing is what suits your personality, okay? Because, uh, you know, different, you know, people seem to think, you know, well, all right, I need a salesperson. I need that A-type personality in your face, competitive, like, you know, A-type personality. Not always, right? What if you're selling to an, uh, you know, an engineer? We're selling to engineering people and you, you don't, you don't, it's like, you know, oil and water. Yeah. Somebody who's like in your face, like aggressive going after trying to sell something to somebody who's risk adverse and not, not communicative, not emotional. Um, and so what's, you know, what is the activity you're going to need to do? And does it suit your personality? Interesting. If you are, cause you're right in the, um, you know, I think salespeople, when people think of salespeople, they think of them with a certain attitude. They think of very outgoing, very confident, um, you know, quite loud, that kind of thing. If you are a salesperson and you're not that way, what do you, you mentioned engineering. What do you think are the best industries um, to go into if you're that type of character? Well, I mean, if you're, so <laughs> I got trained as an engineer mm. and I, uh Really, when I I only was only an engineer for five years, and then I got a sales job, and I'm like, huh, this sales stuff's easy, you know. And I realized why I didn't really like engineering that much. But yeah. you know, today, uh, young people today have uh, a huge. I was talking to a marketing person, you know, the other day, and and they she has two twin sons, and uh, and she was talking about all of the opportunity they had in high school to to stick their toes into different uh, really career level things. Yeah. And because uh, we were talking about how they picked where they're going to college and what they're going to study. And uh, so it's it's a different world today. And I mean, we had math, science, engineering, and, you know, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, English. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I uh Again, you know, you, you should be interested in what you're selling at least. And uh, the, but, you know, if you're an engineering type personality, I'm not, you know, it, it's going to be stressful for you to be in a sales role mm. because you're not a people person and you, um, you know, so it'll be more difficult for you. Can you, be effective can you be successful absolutely you can but you know you're it's going to be harder for you yeah and it's going to be take a lot more of your energy to be effective and and so 
you know, it really helps if you do have a certain element of people orientation mm. uh, to if you're going to be in a sales role. You also it also helps if you are, you know, somewhat competitive and direct. Yes, definitely. because, you know, sales is the only profession where you get rejected every day yeah there's a tremendous amount of rejection and you've got to be resilient enough to be able to handle that and so sometimes when you're too heavy on the people part mm. that makes it hard for them because you know they're so people oriented that the relationship is so important to them that they take rejection you know more in a harder way yeah. So that the combination of being direct and being a people person sort that helps to balance that. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, knowing that about yourself, you know, you can decide, okay, is this the right role for me or not? If, if not, you know, as an engineer, perhaps you want to be more of an account manager. Mm. You're certainly not going to be the, the hunter. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, so uh, if, as long as you're somewhat of a people person, but not necessarily a really go getter type competitive, you could be a real effective count manager. Mm. And actually, maybe that you're better at that than the, you know, super competitive go getter type person. Yeah. I think. What you were saying about um, the amount of rejection in sales, it's very true. And it's something that I've kind of um, grown up with. Like when I was maybe, when I was 13, I uh, started a clothing brand. Um, and when I was 14, I was, you know, getting the designs like imported from Pakistan and trying to sell them. Uh, I sold them into one shop in my town. Um, and then I would try and sell them online and stuff like that. And one of the ways that I tried to sell it was door-to-door -door sales. And I don't know if that's ever been done before, selling T-shirts and hoodies door-to-door. -door. Um, but I tried it. And obviously, I think in my teens doing that and learning, you know, because I don't know how many doors I would chap on in an hour, but quite a lot. And obviously, you know, I would be lucky if I sold one in an hour and the rest were just rejections. You're standing, you're waiting for someone to answer the door, you're looking at your watch. Nah, I don't think anyone's going to answer over to the next house. And so I think for me, kind of having that experience early in sales, it kind of set a good tone of not taking rejection personally and kind of not letting it bother me, you know? Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of people, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the stat is, but it's something like 90% of businesses fail within the first you know, one or, or a few years or something, something crazy like that. And I think one of the big reasons for that is not because the product sucks or because the marketing isn't very good or whatever it is. I think it's just the people that are, um, the people that have started the company and it's, you know, pretty much just always one person trying to juggle everything. I think the sales yeah. side of things is too brutal. You know, they've worked a job where it's quite social, potentially it's quite positive, and then they start doing sales and it absolutely crushes them, you know? And I think that's kind of one of the, 
the reasons that so many people uh, go out of business so quickly that isn't really talked about, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you have right, any yeah. would you have any tactics for anyone like to to get past that, to sort of not take it personally and, and deal with rejection in a positive way? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know. There's nothing that I can say that makes yeah. that better. You know, it just, it, you know, getting rejected is always going to be a bad thing. And, you know, so, you, you know, and I'm not going to say, hey, so just get over it. Right. It It's uh, it's just part of the program. And I think the best solution is to go out and get some wins yeah. because there's nothing better than, uh, than getting some wins to, to recharge your batteries. Okay. But the, the point here is not, um, it is not that rejection. You have to, you have to, you know, accept it. You, the, the, yeah. the important thing is to, um, uh, to you not focus on it. See, people, yeah. the the what what causes people to stop prospecting is that they focus on the rejection. What you need to focus on is what are the activities you need to do in order to get more opportunities. Mm-hmm. Because if you focus on those opportunities, th- those those activities, instead of the results, then you you know you had a successful day if you did it. You know, people will ask me this all the time. How do you keep your customers accountable? I don't keep them accountable. They need to keep themselves accountable. What I do is I help them figure out, okay, who are you going after? How are you going to get their attention? And what do you need to do? Okay, so now I'm on that step two of the process. What's the channels where you're going to get people's attention and get conversations? So what is it that you need to do to have those conversations on a regular basis. Okay. And how, and then we chunk it down. We chunk it down. What are the activities that you are committed to doing and how often? So you can keep yourself accountable for doing it. The point is if you actually are doing them and on a regular basis, you will be successful. So you'll have the wins that counterbalance the re- the rejection, yeah. and you're focusing on the activities, and you reward yourself because I did the activity. It was a successful day, and if you do it, and then you track it like we discussed, yeah, you can you can make adjustments so you'll on a regular basis. But prospecting is the kind of thing that if you don't do it, it doesn't affect anybody except you, mm-hmm. and so. All of my clients, they all want to help with time management. And the first thing I ask them is, do you plan your weeks? Because you can't make sure and keep yourself accountable for doing a, an activity that you may not like doing. Yeah. Because a lot of rejection, you know, unless you plan your week, because this is the first thing that gets pushed off. And especially if you're a business owner doing everything, that's what happens. And so what happens is, you get the roller coaster because you prospect, you get clients. Now you're implementing, you're not prospecting. So three months down the road, you're like, I'm starving now. Okay. 
And this happens all the time. And they go, you know, I'm, I'm coaching a client. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm falling down. I'm not doing what I need to do. No, it's not now. It's like, how long does it take for you from when you first meet a client to when they actually says, okay, let's go. Oh yeah. It takes about three months. Yeah. It's not what you're doing now. It's what you did three months ago. Yeah. What were you doing three months ago? Oh, geez, I was onboarding a whole bunch of clients. Yeah, right. Where was the prospecting activity? Okay. Yeah. When you're busy, you got to know, what do I need to do, if nothing else, and keep yourself accountable for doing it? Yeah, yeah. Because you either, you either do that or you have a very, very short sales cycle. And if you don't have one of those things, if you aren't consistent with it or – um, you don't have a very, very short sales cycle, then it's impossible to have a consistent flow of business coming in, you know? Because, um, yeah, like if it's a long sales cycle and you're not consistent with the leads, then, of course, you're going to be, uh, they're going to be falling off when they shouldn't be. Um, so the only way to combat that is by having a very, very short sales cycle, which is virtually impossible if you're selling something that is of a decent amount of value and has a, def a decent price to it. Um, I think people just don't, sometimes they don't have that consistency because they don't believe in it. They don't believe the consistency is actually going to be worth it and they're going to eventually close the client. Um, but yeah, it's something that you only see um, if you are consistent with it and then eventually it, it plans out how you wanted it to and then it's a lot easier to be consistent. Um, but yeah, I think, especially if you have a, a coach as well to keep you accountable there, or you have a sales manager, I think that makes it so much easier than if you're doing it on your own. You're just, you know, you're desperately trying to keep yourself accountable, but you're thinking about other things, especially if you're self-employed where sales is just one little part of the whole equation um, can be a pretty tough, you know, tough thing to navigate. But I think that's a great tip to kind of, plan out your week and, and potentially note down every little thing that you need to do, especially to cover everything on the, on the sales front as, as well. Yeah. Cool. So you've said a lot of fantastic stuff. I, think, I didn't expect you. Obviously I know that you're a very um, experienced uh, sales trainer and sales coach, but I think there's a lot of like very specific things that you've shared today uh, that could be very beneficial to any sales people or sales managers listening. What would be, if you had to summarize everything you've said in three key points, what would they be? Well, you know, I guess the first thing is really understand your marketplace. That That's where it starts, you know, focus, focus, focus. Yeah. And and you no, know, don't be too raised, too niche down to one, but you, you need to have multiple options, but not too many. Uh, and then, you know, I guess going back is, you know, really look at how you're using your time. Really look at how are your, how's your sales team using their time? Because again, as salespeople, and I'm really focused on that part of yeah. it. The business is all we have is time right is is how are we using our time is are we using our time efficiently and then the third piece is how effective are you in doing what you're doing during that time okay so are you know are, are you doing the right most efficient thing at any given time with the right people 
Okay. And secondly, how effective are you at doing that? And sometimes we don't really pay enough attention to those things. Who is it you're going after? How effective are you? Uh, efficient are you with your time? And then how effective are you when you're doing that? Um, to really understand, listen, um, do am I really helping these people the right way? Or am I doing the right things with the right people? Or am I just not the right person? Or I yeah. don't have the right person? Because <laughs> sometimes they just default right immediately to, I guess I didn't get the right person. Well, yeah. is that the case? Or you just didn't set them up the right way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, a lot, of great, uh, a lot of great knowledge and insights shared. So I appreciate that, Ken. Um, thanks for coming on. It's, it's been, I mean, even for myself to learn all of this stuff, um, you know, a lot of the sort of sales team and, and sales tracking stuff, um, it's, it's very beneficial even for me to hear as well as for anyone listening, for anyone in the sales teams and, you know, SaaS or, uh, or manufacturing companies. Uh, so thanks for coming on, Ken. Really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It was great. It was Good great. Stuff. Good and for, for the listeners, thanks for listening in. If you're on YouTube, thanks for watching. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, actually, you might have had the pleasure of seeing a little lizard up over here. I saw it going around earlier, uh, so hopefully you didn't miss that. But, yeah, thanks for listening. Stuart Madison meets Ken Gio today, a uh, successful sales coach uh, based out of Boston. Uh, so it was great to hear the accent as well. That was one thing. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> thanks for coming on, Ken, and uh, thanks for listening as well.